BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. For the first 18 months of the pandemic, my colleague Alexis Magical, who co-hosts KQD's daily call-in radio show called Forum, described himself as ultra-careful. And I was really worried and got my whole block to sort of lock down very early, and we potted very, very early and stayed that way. One reason for that, too, was that Alexis was reporting on this virus for those 18 months. He co-founded this thing called the COVID Tracking Project, where he worked with public health officials and journalists to track the spread of COVID-19 throughout the United States. So he knew how bad it was. We were really like kind of part of the public health apparatus. So of course, even on like sort of a narrative level, I wasn't interested in getting COVID. And then a vaccine comes along. I think that just over time, there was a kind of risk fatigue that kicked in for me um, where I just kind of felt like, you know, things are easing. Um, I'm vaccinated uh, and I'm uh, maybe I'm just not going to get COVID. 
And this is where we start Alexis's story, because Alexis did get COVID, a mild case that his family didn't catch, but that was still scary and embarrassing for a COVID expert who dodged the virus for 18 careful months. His story is about something that we're thinking about a lot this holiday season, this temptation to get back to the things that make us happy and the risks involved in that. And for Alexis, his story starts with a wedding invitation. So when I got the invite, it was, you know, late summer, early fall 2021. And a friend of mine had gone through kind of a gnarly divorce and was preparing to get remarried. They both have this special connection to the city of New Orleans, which is also like my favorite place on earth that's not Oakland. <laughs> and I was, uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't gone to a wedding. I hadn't done anything like that. But it was kind of like, you know, I mean, he's a doctor also. Mm. I figured, you know, this is going to probably be a pretty safe thing, maybe. It was outside, I think, of what I had considered to be kind of my risk envelope. But it was at that exact moment where I was starting to kind of like edge out and just, you know, kind of started to talk myself into going to this wedding. What's kind of the context of this moment, too? Like, where were we at with COVID at that time? If I really put myself back in that thought bubble, it was basically I was thinking to myself, we're moving through the endemic transition. What endemic means is just like kind of Everybody gets it and you normally try to like stop it. And basically people are giving up. And there's reasons why people are giving up. There are reasons people are like, dude, enough. You know, I gotta I gotta like travel for work. I wanna have this wedding. And and I feel like that endemic transition moment, for me, that's really where where it really felt like this was really landing within the pandemic. So do you remember the moment that you ultimately decided that you were going to this wedding? Yeah, I got one, like, you know, that sort of like last check-in reminder where people mm. are like, hey, you know, just uh, don't know if you're going to make it, but uh, make sure to RSVP. And I was sitting on the stairs uh, uh, inside our house and going like, wow, am I really doing this? Am I really doing this? I, I was waffling back and forth and, you know, was just saying, you know, to my spouse, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, th- I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And she was like, Okay. Uh, and and then just kind of pulled the trigger and sleepwalked into it, you know? Okay, so you go to this wedding. Um, I mean, how was it? Did you have fun? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was a really uh, beautiful wedding. I, you know, when I arrived in New Orleans, I was kind of late and, the, you know, the kind of welcome thing had already begun. So I throw my clothes, I ran around the corner to the where the place was, uh, and I walked in. Got my mask on, of course, because good, good Bay Area resident. And it's just like, basically like a, a room off a bar, like a big kind of like reception mm-hmm. room. Uh, and people are just packed in there. No one's wearing masks. And these are like old friends. I mean, I've known this guy for, you know, 20 years almost. And there were all these people like seeing each other for the first time in a long time. And everyone's having all these moments. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and it was really beautiful. And also, I was like, oh, man, this is the most covid thing I have done mm. in the entire pandemic. Like this 10 minutes of standing here waiting for a drink is probably the most risk that I've taken yet already. Did you pretty much immediately kind of seriously question your decision to go to this wedding once you saw that scene? I mean, what was going in your, on in your mind? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy, what have I done? I, I did. I, I really did. I just, at that moment, I probably, in retrospect, I could have made a safer decision. I could have turned around and walked out, gone to the wedding anyway, but not have had that low ventilation, very close talk kind of a, a thing. Um, there were a whole bunch of other sort of intermediate decisions I, I could have made. Um, but instead, I, I stayed and I, I met a bunch of both like my my friend's friends and his new wife's friends and and had what you know, by any other standard aside from COVIDiness, was an amazing time. You know, it was so, I mean, it was so fun. I mean, New Orleans is a beautiful place. Yeah. They're lovely people. And it was a great, big, awesome party. What can I say? Okay, so then the wedding was over. You attended it. You did the thing. You flew home to your wife and your kids. What precautionary measures did you take once you got home? Yeah, so, you know, if you're exposed to COVID, it's not like you're going to, like, test positive right then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had flown out a few days before, um, and so we decided that I would get a rapid PCR test at the airport. Flew out, got the rapid PCR test, came back negative, kind of tried to keep a little bit of distance from, from people but, you know, I, I, after the result came back, I took off my N95 mask and, you know, I hugged my kids and my daughter, like, you know, immediately wanted to, like, you know, kiss my face and, you know, I let her do it and all that stuff. I woke up the next day uh, feeling feeling fine. Like I, but I, then I started to wonder if I had, like, a psychosomatic tickle in the back of my throat because I was like, I feel a tiny tickle in the back of my throat, which I remembered as being one of the telltale COVID things. So then I took an antigen test, came back negative. By the next morning, I felt like fully like, oh, I have a little cold. So I was like, it's got to just be a cold. Like, come on, like, what are the chances this is really COVID? Nonetheless, I went and got like a full PCR test from Test of People in Oakland. Shout out Test of People in Oakland. They're amazing. And uh, got my result back. So I felt fully like symptomatic, got a negative PCR test. So I thought I was basically like in the clear. Okay, so then when did you actually learn that you were positive for COVID? I was at my desk having a meeting, and, and my spouse heard a cough. And she was like, can you take one more antigen test just to, like, be, be sure? Yeah. And I'm just kind of absentmindedly, you know, I was on the phone, so I was absentmindedly kind of doing the test while I was talking. Put the test in the little, like, a Binax Now one, you know, put there. And I'm chit-chatting with the guy. We're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Finally, I kind of looked down, and I'm like looking at it, like, um, like no, no. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go take another antigen test. The second um, the liquid from the lateral flow test hit there, it was like pretty clear that I was positive. I 
I just like I basically immediately pack a bag, put on an N95, pack a bag, go outside, and then like figure out what I'm going to do because I did not want to be in the house with my children. We have a pretty small house. It's like hard. It would have been very, very difficult to uh, isolate from my family in this house. We really only have one mm-hmm. bathroom. So so I went outside, was able to get a neighbor to that uh, has like kind of a long-term rental, but she was able to like get me in there. I went and got a follow-up PCR test. It was also positive at that point. And, and at that point, we really knew that I was going to be there uh, for for 10 days, which is like the uh, isolation period that you're supposed to take. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, what was that moment like for you when you came back positive? Like what was even going through your mind? Oh, man, it was awful. Like I, I, I was really in disbelief. I also felt like quite ashamed because I felt mm. like as the leader of the COVID tracking project, like I didn't even want the people from the project to find mm-hmm. out, you know. Both when I was at the wedding and when I came back, we'd had, you know, some kind of hard conversations about like, oh, should I have should I have gone? I was just I was just so sad and and just beleaguered because I knew too that it was just going to be just that, that the number of people, the expanding outward ripples of pain in the ass we're going to be so, so many of those things, you know. Like in any community, you know, our family is super deeply integrated with lots of families on this block who've been in this pod for like, you know, a really long time. And so all those people are going to have to get their kids. My kids are going to have to get tested multiple all times. All of my, my wife has a very intense job. All her work stuff was going to have to like now be bent by this. Um, you know, I had had a brief contact with her mother. Now her mother, who's in her 80s, is now going to have to worry about that. So it was just this, just all the spirals um, were becoming clear to me. So you were holed up in an Airbnb for a little bit apart from your kids and all the people around you and you were, were kind of taking these tests and it occurs to me that like not everyone has the resources, the time or the money to take this many tests and also stay in an Airbnb and take time off from work as well. And you, I'm sure you know that more than anyone, um, given your your reporting on COVID. Oh, totally. I mean, super privileged and also lucky. I mean, not, not only just privileged, but just like there happened to be a place down the street um, that I could that I could move into. We asked people to take this huge life hit and we offer essentially no help to anyone. And so if you have the resources to be able to make it as comfortable and non-terrible as possible, um, as well as as safe for those around you when you have high viral loads, as I did, then you can make it all kind of work by using money to paper over all the things that are terrible. But like, yeah, how many people can do it? I mean, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is because I feel like there are some takeaways from this that I feel like can kind of help us, or as you've said, kind of update our mental spreadsheets about how to like navigate life. What's the main thing that you wish you would have done differently in retrospect? You know, one of the mistakes I feel like I made was I didn't really dial in all the details before I went. Mm. The number one thing would have been to like reckon 
honestly, with what the return should look like. I didn't drill down on, well, what are, what's the, what are the drinks going to be like the night before? What's the, I don't mean like what cocktails, I mean like what COVID safety precautions. Uh, and like, what's the wedding itself going to be like? And is there, is it going to be possible to stay outdoors? You know, it's, it's easier to kind of just like close your eyes a little <laughs> bit and let the bad decision happen than it is to like fully grasp all the implications of that decision. If I had quarantined, just preemptively quarantined, I would have still gotten COVID, but the social impact and the familial impact would have been like far, far lower. Mm. And so I wish that I had realized that I had engaged in COVID riskier behavior and that even a few days of of quarantine um, would have given us a chance to catch it without me exposing somebody else. I mean, how has how has getting COVID kind of changed the way that you've navigated the pandemic since then? It feels to me like if you avoid just the very worst risks, which is how I view the wedding that I went to, like just the highest risk activities, I, I think it seemed, it starts to seem quite reasonable to me to layer in daily risk that's much lower, you know, but that is enjoyable, like going out to dinner, like returning to public transit instead of driving everywhere. You know, I, I think there's like, a, I think there's a really strong case to be made for that. We are approaching a time where I think it probably won't be socially irresponsible to uh, to take less precautions. Me personally, I think that that we're we're near that time um, in which, like, particularly for people who have like mental health needs to be like having new experiences for people whose children maybe are not doing well with like a more constrained social environment. Um, you know, people who are towards the end of their lives, I, I do think about this a lot. Listen, we're battling this thing state by state. We're battling this thing like population by population. But like we can't win. What we're in now is like how do we lose as gracefully as possible with the least lives lost and the least lives like negatively impacted by the public health measures that we take to protect everyone else. Like that's where we're at. And the sooner we can like really reckon with that reality, the better, I think, because it would allow us to more realistically assess what our options are. Well, Alexis, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and hopefully giving some people some insight and, and help with navigating just like this weird, yeah. this weird time. <laughs> appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. I so appreciate it. That was Alexis Madrigal, co-founder of the COVID Tracking Project and co-host of KQED's daily call-in radio show, Forum. You can listen to that show on Terrestrial Radio at 9 a.m. on 88.5 FM or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Bay was produced by Mary Franklin Harvin, Raquel Maria Dillon, and me. The Bay is made at your local public media station, KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Talk to you next time.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.